Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Welcome to the podcast. Glory to Jesus Christ. <laughs> Glory forever. As like a, a waiter asks you when you put food in your mouth, how you doing? I'm like, whoa, what up? A rumph. That didn't go off on the last one. It didn't. We were... Right that means our podcast was less than an hour. Nice job. Yeah, thank you. You too. Actually, the uh, that was one of the most requested, uh, I guess, quotes for any Catholic stuff swag was harumph. Harumph. With the loon. With the loon. Yes. You, do you have a run in your pop guard? Is that new? A what? You have a run in your pop guard. Oh, probably got hurt whenever we moved it. So is that what these things are? Is this for, this is like soften our S's and T's? Yep. We have these like screens in front of the microphone that's made of some sort of fabric. I'm just noticing he just got a run in his, I think it was your, your you were throwing Running down. Running my pantyhose. Throwing, throwing down mad rhymes last time and it destroyed the pop guard. Nope. No, I don't know. I just noticed that. All right. Anyway, well, now we know which one's yours. <laughs> yes, thank, thank you. Yeah, when I, was, when I was setting up the uh, the the uh, uh, studio, I was like, I don't remember who's is who's. Now we know. Uh, yep. All right. You want to talk about theosis? Here we go. All right, right in. Do you know what theosis is? Uh, theosis is divinization. Is, yeah. Sanctification. Deification. Deification. All the same words mean the same thing. Generally, becoming holy. Yes. More like God. More, not only Theos. more like God, but becoming. You would, you would say that. <laughs> I, I'm going to say that. You would say yes, that. Yes. I, and we, we would say sanctification. Okay, but yeah. So, right. so Athanasius, Athanasius says, with the heart of theosis. So theosis means becoming God. Theos, yeah. Theos, like God, right? Deus. Or, you know, you would say yep, deification or today and, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. so, so theosis means becoming God. Theosis is the meaning of life. Theosis is, is what we're doing here. It's why God created us. Um, theosis is Athanasius says God became man, meaning Christ. God became man that man might become God. And I, I've shared this before on the podcast. Some people say like God, some people say small G gods, but in my opinion, all of that's really confusing. I, I like the translation, God became man that man might become God. You have to explain it because, of course, we don't become God. But but it, it is very true that um, some people explain it by saying um, we become by grace what God is by nature. nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So God, God is by his very nature, in his essence, he is God. He is divine. Um, Jesus welcomes us into his life and his life is a life of divinity his life is a life of being god and he welcomes us into that life in the creation of the world god shared his life and his life his being is what became it kind of overflowed and 
creation is the revelation of God. And so we are the revelation of God, but we're the one part of creation that is an expression of God that he also welcomes back into his very life. We were created in his image and likeness. And so the process of theosis or deification, divinization, that this, this process is the process of holiness. You called it sanctification. It's the process of um, in the East, we, we very much like saying that we are created in the image and likeness of God. Um, we lost the likeness of God in Adam and Eve. When we mm-hmm. sin, we love, but we always have the image. Mm-hmm. So there, there's the process of is regaining the <clears throat> likeness of God, but even more than Adam and Eve had it. Adam and Eve were in the image and likeness of God. They lost the likeness. When we undergo theosis, the process of sanctification, the process of holiness, the process of becoming God, we actually become closer to God in his divinity than Adam and Eve were. Mm. Because Adam and Eve were did not, God had not become them yet. God in Christ, God became human, and He was not human with Adam and Eve. Yeah. He walked with them in the cool part of the day. He walked with them in the garden, but He was still something other than them. It was still a communion or a community with someone. It was it wasn't communion really in in the in the strictest sense. It was He He was there with them, so He was a companion to them, but He was not in unity with them yet. That had to happen in the man, Jesus Christ, who was perfectly God and perfectly man, and therefore united humanity and divinity in one person. That's why, by the way, at the Council of Ephesus, they declared that that Mary truly is the mother of God. Yeah. And we can say that. Many people would disagree with that, but it's true. The council said you can call Mary the mother of God because, theotokos is the Greek word, because Jesus is truly God, fully God and fully man. So she's not only Christotokos, she's not only the mother of Christ, she is Theotokos, she's the mother of God since Christ was truly God. She wasn't the mother or the origin of God in eternity, of course, because she's human, but she was truly the mother of God. Mm-hmm. I think in that same sense, we can say God became man that we might become God. God, Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man to make us Uni- so unified with God that that we are that we can say we are God. We are one with God. Um, and I think we would, the West would tend to say we can become <clears throat> God-like, God-like. Right. But right. I mean, but both of them need to be explained. Yes, because in in my mind, God-like is is saying like, oh, God's over here, and I'm way over here, and I'm but I'm like Him. So it doesn't matter where I am, I'm like Him. But it's not only that; like, it's a true union. But it's also the case where someone said, you know, God, uh, Jesus became man in every way except sin. So Jesus was fully man, but the one thing He does not share with us is sin. Mm-hmm. We become God in every way except His essence. So in other words, God by nature, by his essence, by what he is, what we are is not God. What he is, is God. That's why at the burning bush, um, I am who am, or I am, I am being. God is existence itself. God is being itself. Mm-hmm. And that's what God is. We are welcomed into something that is not of us. We, we are we are welcomed into something that, that we were not. So God welcomes us in. So in his essence, he is 
God. We will never have the essence of God. So in the East, they, they, they distinguish that by saying that God has essence, the essence of God and the energies of God. The essence of God is, is the part of God that cannot be shared because he's the only one who is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that in the in what they share one essence of divinity. We are welcomed into that. And so the part that we are welcomed into, we, even part's a bad word, but we are God's energies, the, the way that he, the part of God that is the the action in the world, the part of God that that is the the perceivable creation. Um, everything that we perceive, everything that we understand is the energies of God. It's not God in who he is, but it's rather God in his action and in the parts that, that we can perceive. We are welcomed into the energies of God, not into the essence of God. So that's why you need to explain it. We Theosis means becoming God, not God mm-hmm. in his essence, but mm-hmm. God in his energies. That's why we explain that, that we will never be part of the essence of God. So therefore, when it makes us uncomfortable to say that we become God, we're not saying God in his essence. We're saying God welcomes us into his divine life. It is an intimate, very real part of his life, but it's not the essence. It's rather the energies, the the part of God that is a, even able to be shared when he welcomes us in his adopted children. Yeah, we would, I mean, we're using the same, I mean, similar words, um, but I think one of the things that we would say is what he is by nature, we become by grace. And I think the grace part is what you're saying in terms of energies, right. I think. Um, so, yeah. so God doesn't just have grace. Um, he is holy, right. holy, holy, holy. Um, we become holy through grace. Right. Grace is a gift. It's... Um, yeah, we should do a separate podcast on like what we mean by grace. Yeah. But God is making us capable of receiving his own life. Right. And in order for us to receive that energy, we have to be made like we have to be adapted or I mean we would use the word adopted. Right. Um and and made partakers of that energy that he is by his very nature. Right, and it's important to say that when we talk about grace here, or when I use the word energy, it's it, this is an uncreated thing. This this is not that God said, oh, I'm gonna welcome you here. Like, like I live in the mansion, and then there's a servant quarters that's separate from the mansion. I'm gonna welcome you into the servant quarters. No, mm-hmm. it's like we are welcomed into the uncreated life of yes. God. Yes, And it, it, it's, it's, it's as intimate as you can get with God. That's what he welcomes us into. Um, so it's important to say that it is, it is absolutely, unc- it is truly divine nature that we are welcomed into. It is, it is the, the divinity of God that we participate in um, but we just have to understand that when we undergo this process or when we participate in this process, the synergy, the, this process has to be a synergy. God's working and we're, I'm working with him. As we're participating in this, we are we are participating in in a way that is the, actually God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like for, and some people have heard this before, but like the Mormons, their idea of an afterlife is that you become your own God. Yeah. Separate from other gods. Yes, right. and we would say, no, you become God-like, I can't say that, um, but in the sense that heaven, which is uh, a created reality, but it is in uh, the the very presence of God, so one can't be in the presence of God and not be made 
capable of receiving that yeah because we're limited we couldn't possibly enjoy that without like somehow him opening us to his own power to his own knowledge yeah to his own love so um so everyone who is in heaven is living a uh, god-like life right you know there's not parts of god that he's not sharing in heaven right right you know like he's sharing everything right so like you know the people in heaven are seeing the same reality as he's seeing right all at the same time they're in eternity you know? And it's it, that's a mystery, of course. But it, it, you know, Saint Paul says, um, "Eye is not seen, ear is not heard." What 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 awaits us? But it, it's it's funny that you would say that heaven's created because that that that's also a slight difference between the way that we perceive it. Because it's and unknowable. Many in the East would say it's it's not it's uncreated. It's just union with God. It's union with the uncreated God. So again, we're gonna have resurrected bodies. So how does that work? Obviously, we our our body's gonna be created. So there there must be some aspect of time and space because that's what bodies exist in but it's not the same time and space we experience here and when in union with god we're going to be in union with the with the uncreated god so is 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 it really a created reality i mean these are all deeper well that would be interesting because i mean like before there was anything right there was god Mm -hmm. was there heaven even before there was uh like the earth. Right. I mean, we say in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but like heavens, you know, is kind of the, the stars, you right. know, and the universe and Star Trek and whatever. Um, but like before then, is that what he's, you know, or does yeah. he cre- actually create a place, a space that we can enjoy because of Right. I, I don't know. I, I think we, we have to, like, we. there's nothing wrong with we humans saying that because that's all we know. All we know is time and space, mm-hmm. we, we, that, mm-hmm. we, that we exist within those bounds. We can't even conceive of something outside of time or outside of space, but we know that exists. God himself exists outside of time and space. So when we talk about heaven, the, I don't think there's anything wrong with us saying that, like, kind of putting the only concepts we know on a concept. But we have right. to be humble enough to say that I can't, I can't know what heaven is. I can't. I mean, I, I can't even conceive of what it is. So that, that's, I think, when you have different theologies, different, different examinations of what it is, you can say, well, we, we're going to have resurrected bodies. We know that, and bodies exist in time and space. So there must be some sort of uh, reality of of a sort of time and space in heaven. But I think the reality is, is we go to God. I mean, the the whole, the whole reason why heaven is fulfilling in his paradise is because we're in union with God and therefore we're in in union with each other. Perfect Mm -hmm. union. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think why you, it's, why I don't I don't personally like the time like the term God like unless it's explained because it seems like there's still a separation. Mm-hmm. There's God and then there's go, who, those who are like Him. No, there there will be a, a perfect unity with God. I mean, Saint Paul says that we are the body of Christ. So like we are not we are not the second person of the Trinity in His essence, but we are as a church. We are yeah. the second person of the Trinity, invi- adopted, invited in by grace, mm. and and by this process of theosis. And we can, through the process of theosis, through the process of sanctification, even in this life, it's right. not just an after effect. It has it, to begin in this life. It's starting right now. So we yeah. can live um, a, a, a real participation in God's life 
right now. Right. And, and th- th- that, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, the fathers, when they talk about theosis, they say it has to begin here. You, you do not begin this process. It's a pilgrimage. It's a process of theosis. And the, the East would say there's, there's, there is kind of twofold. Um, it's certainly threefold if you see theosis as an end. But, but the process of theosis, the process of, be, as of becoming one with God, has to start in time and space in this life. That's why Christ gave us the church. That's why we have the sacraments. That's why we have the mandates to, to wash feet and to serve the poor, to love our neighbor, et cetera. All these things are part of this process. But the process, as the fathers have explained, uh, two or threefold. Um, the first aspect is, is the what many would call the purgative way. I, like It's the process of, yeah. of, of getting rid of the things that, that we have built up because of sin and because of humanity, getting rid of the things that are keeping us from union with God. You know, the images that many use, you've probably heard before, is you know you have a chalice. You have a chalice or a cup full of something, right? That's kind of the sin, the selfishness, the the humanity that we start with and that, that we've put into our life. If we want to, that filled up with Christ, we have to empty it out. So the first part is the emptying. So like you have kenosis, the Greek word meaning self-emptying. You have catharsis, meaning purification. You have metanoia, meaning conversion. These are all the, the Greek words that refer to that first step in the process of theosis, mm-hmm. the ascetical life, prayer, fasting, almsgiving. There, there's a, a purging, that's what we call the process of purgation or purgatory, right? purging, where we're emptying ourselves of something. So the first part of the process of theosis involves involves emptying and you see this in the scriptures why did jesus said take eat this is my body what for the forgiveness of sins drink this chalice of my blood what for the forgiveness of sins there's a forgiveness there's an emptying that needs to come first we need to be forgiven of our sins and that's the first part of the process when we live the christian life there is always an aspect of fasting of ascetical life of self-emptying of conversion etc these this is the first step. The second step, step then is theoria is the Greek word. I'm just meaning illumination or having having the experience of God. You know, the, the, we hear in the Beatitudes, um, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Mm-hmm. The more we purify our heart, the more clearly we see God. It's not that he's not there all the time. He's yeah. always there. But we purify our vision. We purify ourselves of sin. And then we see him more clearly, not because he only comes to us then, but because he's been there the whole time. But we didn't recognize him because we were blinded by the fog of sin. Mm-hmm. And so the second part, once, and again, all these these aren't things like, oh, I'm now I'm done with the purgative and I'm on the illuminative. Right. It doesn't work that way. It's like that the, we're always going back and forth between the two. But the illuminative is now we are seeing, we are experiencing God in a way that we could not when we were steeped in sin. When we, we had the fog of sin blinding us to the reality, all of a sudden, then we we are illuminated. We, we see the light of Christ. We use that image a lot, of course, in the church, the light of Christ is scriptural. That we see the light of Christ, the, the presence he becomes we become aware of him and learn more about him and love him more. And then if you want to say the third one would be then just theosis itself is, is, is true participation in God. So we are, we are purged of everything, keeping us from God. And then we see him, we experience him for who he is. And then the third way we participate in that, that we experience. Mm-hmm. It's not just a, Oh, look, look, God is like a piece of art. Look, there he is. He's so beautiful. But we are, we are always welcomed into that beautiful thing. It's not, I think that's, that's the, in a sense, one of my friends tells a story. He's a, he's a veterinarian and he, he travels all over the world. And he, he went up to, uh, up to, uh, somewhere in Northern Canada and he was uh, he was talking to an Inuit, and and they were looking at the Northern Lights, and you know he's he's a veterinarian, he's a scientist, he knows what it is, he knows what the Northern Lights are. But he asked this this simple Inuit, and he, and he said, "What is that?" 
And then he said, oh, oh, that's, that's God, um, you know, moving, moving like finger paint around in the sky. And he, it's a gift to us. It's like God's doing it as a sign of love. And he, he was just shocked by this because that's, that's, that's more real and more beautiful than the scientific explanation. They're both true. You know, the science is there and also the, the, the presence of God. But if we, if we see, when we see something that is of God, it's never to be just observed. It's to actually be participated in. When we see something about God, it's not like, oh, look, that's beautiful, but now I'm going to welcome you into the thing that is beautiful. You're going to participate in it. When we look around the world, if we're an atheist or a secular humanist, we can look at, at, at a beautiful you know, the beautiful creation and go, oh, that's beautiful, but it's, it's, that's all it is. There's something separate from me that I acknowledge, I use this word beautiful, whatever that means to secular humanists. But when I, when I, as a Christian, I say that's beautiful, it's also a gift to me that I can participate in, mm -hmm. in Jesus Christ. And so that's the threefold process of being very general here and taking, of course, very broad strokes. Threefold process. We purge ourselves of the things keeping us from seeing Christ clearly. Then we see him clearly. And when we see him clearly, we understand that what we're seeing clearly is an invitation it is a gift. And then the third process of theosis, theosis itself, um, I think even the Western concept would be unitive. So there's a purgative, illuminative, mm -hmm. and unitive way. The, the unitive is truly unity with God. St. John of the Cross has a great analogy on this too. Um, I mean, this is kind of classic spiritual theology you can find in John yeah. of the Cross. You can find Spanish it in... Spanish mystics. Yeah. Kind of Siena. Teresa of Avila. The, uh, there's a great book by uh, Benedict Grishel called Spiritual Passages. Um, that kind of goes over this, but the uh, John of the Cross's analogy is if you have a fire, you know, and then you light a fire among, like, with wood, <clears throat> what you begin to get is the imperfections of the wood coming out, the kind of yeah. hisses and spits and, like, sputters, and, and like, there's, like, uh, parts of the wood that are being cast out so that the fire can penetrate more deeply, yeah. um, and it's a difficult process. It doesn't immediately take. It requires work. But then you come to the illuminative part where you begin to have a flame that is lively, um, and there's certainly action on the wood, and it's receiving, instead of kind of fighting against, it's actually receiving the flame in a deeper way so that it's growing to the point where you would have the unitive way where now you have a fire where you can't really tell what is wood and what is material and what is kind of um, what is the form, what is the the agent that is it's becoming all flame. Right. Um, and so then you actually have coals that are totally consumed, not ashes, but rather are are giving and radiating heat um, without looking as if like is that flame, but if you picked up that wood in the first part, you could still move it around. Right. If you pick it up in the second part, it could be a little more difficult. In the third part, it's like, no, this is actually all flame. Yeah, you can't tell where the wood begins and the flame right. begins. Right, and that's where the saints are. And I mean, that's that's really where it's like, it gets to a point where, you know, we're, we're kind of, we are talking about the same thing, because that's what we call them. We call these people saints, yeah. because we recognize that their life has totally become all flame, and they are holy. And who is holy? God. Yeah. So who are they? They are holy ones. They are gods. Yeah. So. And that, that that's why in in the when when you have like God works within. By the way, it was it was Saint John of the Cross and his his description of 
union with God that that pulled me back to discerning celibacy hmm. because I've been discerning celibacy when I was young, kind of before I discovered girls, and then I discovered girls, and all of a sudden I was like, "What is this? You know, what is this amazing thing that I'm experiencing? This this being drawn to marriage?" And so I read, you know, John Paul, Love and Responsibility. I love the- read Theology of the Body, and then I was like, "Oh man, like marriage, totally like that. That mm-hmm. is the most beautiful thing. It's explained so well by him." And then it was when I picked up John of the Cross in late college that that he discussed. You know, union with God. When God takes over your memories, He takes over your your emotions. He takes over everything, and that level of intimacy that's possible. You know, with Saint John of the Cross explains it so well that through this kind of like this ecstasy, same thing with like Teresa Vila, et cetera, that, that this ecstasy where, where the intimacy is complete, like a God, God, there's no separation between mm-hmm. God and I. And I was like, oh, I want that. I want that too. So then I, I kind of had the freedom of saying I can access that intimacy in celibacy or I could access the intimacy, that same intimacy, but as, as mediated and shared through a wife and how beautiful both of those things were. And then I, I kind of had the freedom to discern after that. Yeah. Um, so that, that was beautiful. But in, in the East, like God works within our, our understanding, our cultural understanding of who he is. So I've mentioned this before too, but there's that in, in the West, you see people when, when they have a, a experience of in, incredible intimacy and union with God, a lot of times they'll receive the stigmata, like St. Francis, like Padre Pio, et cetera. It's a, Christ was crucified, he had these wounds, now I do too. It's an expression of the unity that is present, a physical expression of the present unity. In the East, we really don't have any stigmatics, but we do have the reality of people showing forth the uncreated energies of God in their flesh. Hmm. Like, in other words, it's like a transfiguration yeah. where, where they, their skin will glow, will glow almost like blindingly glow. And, um, and the, the, the monks talk about if, if, if a monk is dying, they'll actually see his cell lit up. Right. And then they go, oh, he's dying. And they'll go in there and pray when they see the cell lit up and literally his skin is glowing like, like Christ did at the transfiguration. So it's the same thing. It's this, this physical manifestation of the, the unity, the sanctification, the the saintliness that that person now has with Christ, and I think it's a beautiful sign of of we don't need those external signs. But when one when one's person, when their being has become so united with Christ that the two are inseparable, which is mm-hmm. what theosis is, Christ and I are inseparable. Then there is very that there is a sense of well, why wouldn't that manifest itself in my physical being? Yeah either in those extreme ways, or, I mean, I, th- I think you've seen, I mean, the, the, I, I wanted to do a whole podcast one time, I thought about it on, just on like, literally there's sometimes when I when I look at, there's some women that are so beautiful to me that they make every woman more beautiful. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it's like, I, I, I'll, I'll, look at, I'll look at one woman and I'll say like, oh, the, I, I can see the, the, the feminine genius in her. And then I, every, every other woman I look at for like the next, you know, hour or so, it's like I, I see them as more godlike in their beauty, mm. in their feminine genius, because I saw it in one, and that that extends to all the yeah. rest. It, I mean, with, with every, any human yeah. being, but it's just being a man, you know, with, with whom there's a certain beauty there. Um, I think it, that can happen in those everyday situations too. Like when I, I look at someone, I say, there's something. There's something about them. There's something almost superhuman about their demeanor, about their, their, the way they talk, about their personality. And that does come from sanctity, from holiness. You mm-hmm. know, from they're, they're on that process of theosis in a way that their union with God is starting to show in every aspect of their life, not just privately in their own prayer, but I'm starting to witness it like as someone external to them. And it's like, well, that makes sense. Why, why wouldn't God do that, you know? 
Yeah. All right. Uh, just uh, there, there was one main scriptural. We always kind of look for this stuff in the Bible. Um, the one main scriptural. There's a bunch of them, but the, the biggest one that I found was Second um, Peter, uh, one, verse three. His divine power has been given. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has been given us, excuse me, his divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness, godlikeness. Sorry, I, 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 there's a different translation here that I normally read. Um, his divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his own goodness. Yeah. Who called us out of darkness into his own wonderful yeah. light. Exactly. The, the, the out of darkness is the purgative part. His own divine light is the illuminative part. And then the part space we have then is, is the, is the theosis. So um, just a, a couple, a couple practical things. I, there's the, you know, there, there's something about community and, and intimacy, all human beings. We need intimacy. We need, if if heaven is if what we are created for is heaven and heaven is union with god therefore heaven is union with each other literally if the if we can define heaven as union with god and with each other that's why the two greatest commandments love god with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself the, the two greatest commandments are pointing us to the reality of heaven which is just union with god you know who cares about about all the the other things well am i going to have this in heaven am i going to have this in heaven like it doesn't none of that matters I mean, all that is is completely secondary and complementary to the fact that we have union with God. And so if we have that, if that's what we're bound for, that's what we're created for, that's what we're moving towards, then there is a an intimacy. The intimacy I desire here on earth, whether it's in community, with one person in marriage, with a community if I'm living in community, with just my friends, the, the intimacy I desire is present there because I was created to have it. I was created for intimacy with God and each other. So therefore, loneliness is an expression of not having that intimacy. My desire to have friends is is an expression of that desire for intimacy. My desire to have a spouse, all of this is, is a manifestation of that we are created for union with God and with each other. It just expresses itself in different ways and different forms, depending on what vocation you're called to and what life you're, you're called to have and what part of life we're, mm-hmm. we're created into a family, et cetera. So there, there's there's the the practical reality here is that we want to be on this path. First of all, we need to be working at all times on the ascetic life, on purging ourselves of the things that are keeping us from seeing God clearly and participating in him. Um, once we've been doing that a while, we'll start to see God more clearly. And we don't want to see God more clearly merely as a means to intellectual endeavor, Christian life is a movement towards participation. So when we see God clearly, that same sight is also an invitation, an invitation into the life of God. And so this is what theosis is. This is his process. The day-to-day reality of that is a beautiful thing because when I, I found, especially as a celibate, when, when I, when I desire intimacy, if I really break it down, what I'm looking for in intimacy, it's like, theosis is intimacy like like i don't need to worry just live the christian life and you will have objective intimacy you know when i when i see people that are not 
receiving the Eucharist, whether they're not Catholic or, or they're just not receiving whatever it is. Like, I want intimacy with them. The greatest intimacy I can have with them is to receive the Eucharist with them. You know, uh, so even with the Jesus prayer, the Jesus prayer is kind of this, this the, the hesychastic way it's called, this, this life of asceticism and constant prayer. You can listen to the Jesus prayer podcast, you know, uh, uh, when I go into that a little bit deeper, but there's this prayer, this breathing in and breathing out of the Jesus prayer, breathing in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Breathing out, have mercy on me, a sinner. Even the way of breathing is a, in its physical reality is kind of expression in uh, expression of breathing in Christ, like into my lungs is an expression of unity and intimacy. Breathing out is like breathing out sin, but is also kind of sharing Christ with the rest of the world. So there's this this intimacy I need to remember when I am lonely, when I am desiring intimacy in whatever way it is. I have access to that intimacy in a divine, deep way at all times. Like living a life of holiness is living a life of intimacy. So I, I've been asked, I don't know how many times recently, but it's been happening a lot in the past month, but people just like non-Catholic friends, they do not understand celibacy and they don't understand how somebody can say, I'm gonna be celibate for the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. they're like, what if you change your mind? Like what, what, what if you find a girl that you like? It's like, it's not about that. It's so much deeper yeah. than changing my mind. It's so much deeper than finding my soulmate. It's, 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 I'm literally as a celibate and anybody can do this. You don't have to be celibate. You can tap into union with God and each other through a life of holiness, not through the, the practical surface aspects of who specifically is in my community or who specifically is gonna be my spouse. I can experience the, the eternal, intimacy that I will have with God in heaven. I can do that here and I need to do it here on earth. It starts here, tapping into that through purging myself of sin, of the things keeping me from Christ, then being open to receiving the illumination, the experience of God that comes through purifying, and then seeing that experience of God that leads to, it is an invitation leading to union with him, which is the whole reason we exist, which is the meaning of life. We're made for communion. It's true. And, like, when you start pressing people on it, it's like, guess what? You're not going to be having sex in heaven. And they're like, maybe in your heaven. I'm like, (laughs) well, Jesus says they are neither married nor given in marriage. Right, right. So you're not going to get the benefits of marriage. So if that's, if you think, like, you know, that that it's going to be the be all end all here, and you don't live any of this intimacy, this divine intimacy that we're actually called to, even divine intimacy that's mediated through persons and community. In an in an in a non sexually intimate way, what exactly do you think heaven's going to be? Yeah, well, well uh, it's sex and and all of our earthly intimacy is imperfect. Like like, yeah. like sex is sex is imperfect intimacy. You 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 have two people that are as close to each other as they will probably ever be, but it's not perfect intimacy. In heaven, we'll have perfect intimacy. So sex and community and all these different ways that we have intimacy and community here on earth, all of it is imperfect. It's all pointing to something greater. So when we get to heaven and have perfect intimacy, we won't even need sex anymore. We won't want sex anymore. We won't want all the the limited lesser aspects of community because we will have true union with God. I bring that each other. I bring that up because that's part of the reason why a lot of people don't get celibacy. Cuz they're just like I just don't understand how you can live the rest of your life without that. I'm like, can you live an eternity without that? Cuz that's what we're yeah. that's what we're working towards. Yeah. That's it. And and and, and again, not, not to get off topic, but sex is natural because God created in us the desire to have that extra, that intense intimacy with somebody. But because God created it, he can also 
give us celibates the ability to to experience intimacy other ways, but also he fulfills us through by not needing it because he's God and he can do that. So we should have a whole topic podcast just called "What Is Sex?" or Father Nathan explains sex. No, <laughs> no, that's all God. All right, are you on to shout outs? Let's get on to shout outs. <laughs> this is getting weird. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, let me start since this is my topic. Got it. All right. A shout out to Randy and Judy Robinette, close friends of mine and listeners in Paulding, Ohio, from Jeff Muma. Muma. Thanks for the pronunciation, Muma. A shout out to my amazing husband, Kevin, and our three beautiful kids from Melissa Hicks in Rochester, New York. A shout out to my sister, Nicole, and myself. Huh. That's the first shout out to self. <laughs> <laughs> to me <laughs> shout out to me um, she is one she is the one that introduced me to these podcasts from Rem Delatore. Rem is is the person who's myself Nicole's the sister yeah I'd like for y'all to give a shout out to Phil Eubank in New Orleans he introduced me to your podcast and it's been a great aid to my journey from fundamentalism towards Catholicism Roman Catholicism in fact I am looking to begin RCA soon from Will Everett congratulations yeah awesome all right, if you can give a shout-out to Dirty Vagabond Ministries, that would be awesome. Love you guys. Thank you for being you. From Andy Sheree. And I have one more. What is me... Dirty Vagabond Ministries? Have you looked at that? I, I, I've seen it on Facebook, but honestly, I, I can't remember what it is right now. Do we just give a shout-out for, like, you know, Beard Balm or something like that? <laughs> All right, um, and also... Uh, these cats showed up at my parish last Wednesday, and I'm going to give them a shout-out. Uh, from San Diego, Vincent Bellingary, Sophia Quintera, and Nathan Main. And also, uh, I put Maribeth. I don't think that's right. It's Meredith mm-hmm. Smith from Denver, Colorado. But anyway, they all showed up to Divine Liturgy, and we had a great night out. We all walked down and ate and drank and arm wrestled, and it was good. Fun. I'm looking at Dirty Vagabond Ministries right now. It looks pretty fun. Yeah. So, street ministry. I prefer a church that is dirty because it's been on the streets. Sweet. Amen. Check All right. It out. Yeah, check it out. They're online. All right. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Check it out. Ah! Be holy. Undergo theosis. Don't break stuff on it. Don't break stuff. All right. We'll see you later.